Hello and welcome to Harvest Church Podcast. Harvest Church is based in sunny Durban, South Africa. We are a family of believers who are passionate about Jesus. We really hope this message inspires you today. I'm going to speak again on taste and see that the Lord is good. And the Lord spoke to me this year about taste and see that the Lord is good. You can go to the next slide, thank you. And that everybody, you'll be blessed when you take refuge in Him. And that refuge is going to Him above anything else. And last week I spoke about just the four different types of love that the Greek does explain to us, and I'll do that again quickly. The agape love of God is this. It's the God kind of love. It's the love of God that is unconditional towards you and uh, unconditional towards me. And the love of God is revealed in Jesus. The love of God, the ultimate love of God was revealed in the finished work of Jesus where Jesus died for us. There's another love called philia where it's a friendship love, but it's got bounds to it. It can extend to a, a certain place. It's not the agape, but it's an expression of agape, but it's philia. It's called friendship love. And as I said last week, Jesus introduced that uh, subject and that conversation with us in his interaction with Peter. And he said, Peter, do you love me with an agape? And Peter says, I, I like you as a friend. And eventually got Peter to really get honest in his own heart and it's encouraging for me at the times in my own life where I haven't loved God and it never ever changes his love for me. And that's the beautiful thing about the covenant faithfulness of who he is. It's never determined of my love for him, but actually his love for me, which changes me ongoingly. And then there's storage, which is a parent love and um, a parent will nurture, a parent will protect, a parent will provide for, a parent will take a spouse and put the spouse in the way to protect the child, that kind of love. And, um, and then you get eros, which is actually a worldly love, and it's a worldly love devoid of any form of God-likeness. You and I as married believers who have connected to agape can experience an expression of eros which is a pleasure and intimacy. But the world is running in a cyclical pattern of eros love or worldly love, which is self-seeking. Everything got to do with self, where the agape love of God is completely different. And we spoke last week about the agape road is a road that is governed by who he is in his nature. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 19 that God is love. And we love because he first loved us. But we seem to, because of religion often, we seem that's, we find often in our lives that that's not good enough or it's not meeting our needs. So we choose two roads. And the one road is legalism. And if you've been at harvest long enough, then you are wonderfully on the road to recovering from legalism. We're all recovering legalists. So because we've realized just hasn't worked. 
Religion doesn't work. Legalism doesn't work. Trying to get it all right for the Father to be happy with you, you end up being pretty depressed and you want to leave that road too. And the other option then is to live like the world. And if you live like the world, it ends up having the same cyclical pattern and it ties into itself and you start to spiral. So I want to give us, get us to the place where you go, oh no, there's only one option. Yes, there is only one option and it's called the Agape Road or, or, or the road in which we keep intentionally connected to intimacy with the Father and from there we flow because therein is your freedom. There's a word called liberty and that word liberty is this freedom without fear. A lot of people who are running around saying, I'm freer, but they're still governed, free, they're still governed with fear. And liberty, ultimately he wants us to live in liberty. So that was the, the first week last week, and I, I did tell us that we're going to deal with a couple of giants in culture that the world system is wrapped up in, or the eros system is wrapped up in, and we're going to... We're going to throw some of those things out today, ultimately to get you to the place where you're going, I don't want it because I want to walk back on the Agape Road, where you connected back into this place of intimacy with the Father. Because out of the place of intimacy with the Father, then life flows. And that word life is a present life word. It means Zoe. It's the quality of life that God himself possesses. He wants you and I to exist from. But we walk on the planet Earth, and it would be so easy if there weren't other people involved. I was talking to somebody after the service. It was like, when you give yourself to Jesus, then often there's suffering. I'm like, well, let me help understand what you're saying. The suffering is often usually when people are around, and then we blame God because of the stuff we're doing. So usually our own choices are other people uh, that get us into a place of suffering. And... Uh, but his desire is that we don't live there consistently. He, his desire is that we live in intimacy with him, in expression of the kingdom of God. As believers, it's either the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. That's where we live. And we exist to bring his culture, his nature, and his personhood to every person that we meet. And that has to be viewed in the light of how the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are intertwined in such harmony with one another, and the Bible says we include it in that. So you and I, we can do it, but we can't do it from a distance, unfortunately. So sorry about that. You can have an intellectual reality of what this thing called Christianity looks like, and you can do it from a distance, and you can speak, and you can be so eloquent but it lacks the very nature of who he is. That's why his desire has always been intimacy. And he, he, Jesus always wanted us to take us to the Father. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So let's go through this a bit. And it's, it's, uh, I, I, I realize that I'm going to muddle it through and it's going to be wonderfully messy in the process if that's okay. How do you take a life message and something that you've been desiring, seeking, and wanting to live out of, how do you do that in 35 minutes? Don't know. So if you're not in a rush, nor am I. 
We can always pick it up as we go. 1 John 2, verse 15, it won't be on the screen. It says this, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, the very thing that Adam and Eve succumbed to that created this, no, this, this separation where sin came into existence and you and I, you can say unfairly, were born with the nature of sin. That's why you needed to be born again and born in Christ where you are born of the nature of righteousness. But the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, this is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with all its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. What's the will of God? To bring his nature and his character into existence amongst everyone around you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. So let's look at governed desire. The agape road is this where my desires are governed by love. Not governed by force, not governed by control, but governed by love. It says, in 2 Corinthians, that the love of God controls me, constrains me. Now, if I've got two responsibilities as I stand here in the honor before God and, 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 and our team, it's to do this. Is I want to teach us how to live, but I also want to prepare us for life and life eternal. It's so important, and the love of God does so well there because teach me how to live, the love of God constrains you. It's governed your desires are governed that come and expresses him. He expresses himself through us of what his kingdom looks like. And then number two, in 1 John, it says, I don't want you to have fear. I want you to have confidence on the day of judgment. But perfect love casts out fear because fear has got to do with punishment. If we have this confidence that we've lived our lives out of this expression of our nature and our character and what he's done in and through us as new creations, we're confidence on that day. Beautiful, we go, and as believers, we go to the beamer seat of Christ or the reward seat of Christ, and unbelievers, they'll go to the white throne judgment. And the requirement, friends, is make sure that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. But you see, I don't only want to exist every moment of my life for the sake of getting there. I want to live the expression of who he is. And, and it takes community to do that. It takes friends to do that. It takes the gospel to do that. So 1 John, I mean 1 Corinthians 13, please. Father, help me. I'm only starting now, so push, put your stopwatches on. That was my introduction. But just listen to this. Most of us have heard this at a wedding, maybe. But 1 Corinthians, thank you. But I'm going to go verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 31. It says this, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And then he goes into it, says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain 
Nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Now, if you are going, that's too much pressure on me to love like that, understand this. God is love, so that's the way he loves you. God is patient and kind. God does not envy or boast. He is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable like I was this whole week or resentful. It's not, it does not rejoice in wrong, wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part when Perfection comes when you experience the love of God now. The partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child when I became a man. I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then when you connect to the love of God, you see him face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully. Even as I have been fully known. Friends, you're fully known. You are fully known by Father. Fully known. Now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now 2 Corinthians 5.14, in the message it says this, Christ's love has moved me to such extremes. His love is the first and the last word in everything that I do. It's not control, it's not fear, it's not manipulation, it's not intimidation, it's the love of God. Am I that free, yes you, that free to be constrained by the nature of God? Eros, ungoverned desire. Agape, governed desire. You see, it's just... Moses couldn't go into the land. Now, because of God's faithfulness, we are in the promised land, but it affects the way you live in that land. Moses didn't get to see it. You and I get to see it because of what Jesus has done. But do we get to experience the privilege, the responsibility of living in that land? So let's work through some of these things. There's seven. You can put them up for me, please. So look good, feel good, be right, stay in control, hidden agenda, personal advantage, remain undisturbed. Each one of these can have a message on their own. So it's impossible. But allow Holy Spirit to rest upon you because of this. Last week I spoke of what the Lord spoke to the Israelites as they entered the promised land. He says, I'm gonna, all these superpowers that you think are a lot more powerful there, I'm gonna give them into your hand. And he says, when I give them into your hand, I want you to destroy them. Here what? Here's this giant, here's this enemy going against you. I've rendered it powerless. Now take it out. Don't make a treaty. Don't let it get away with anything. Because ultimately, when it gets its own way, it influences our relationships 
with one another. You see, if the body cannot connect in relationships, how are we going to show the world anything? Because the Bible says this, the world look at us for our love for one another. Where's the church gone? Where's the body gone to? We've become so busy. So look good. Look good, feel good, and be right. Kind of hang around with one another. You look at the world and look at the system of the world. It does everything to look better than people are spending copious amounts of money to look a certain way because if I look a certain way, I'll be possibly accepted. Feel good sometimes doesn't worry about look good. I'll rather feel good and I've studied drug culture and I've seen it and I've experienced it myself. All of these things are connected to lack. They're connected to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and connected to that place where we find lack instead of the tree of life. Now, feel good, you'll see it, and you can go and Google it, you'll see where the San Francisco have got people bent over in weird positions standing for hours because heroin is pumping through their veins because they desire pain to leave. I don't care how I look now, but I just want to feel better. These giants want to tell you that you need them because they will then take away the lack that you're actually experiencing. Now, this thing, be right. The Gen Zs, and all my kids are Gen Zs, they coined the phrase for the Gen Xs and us older guys, Karens and Kevins. Have you heard of the Karens and the Kevins? There's a Karen out there, and there's a Kevin. You see, the be right has caused more fights Amongst people, amongst marriages, and amongst relationships and churches, etc., etc. I was reading some articles on the craziest ways that people have been divorced. Now, I don't like divorce, but it was funny. The one, the one couple got divorced over a banana. The one person was the black banana needs to be trashed. The other person, the black banana needs to be made into banana bread. Now, they both write, but they would not submit to one another in like, chuck your banana, make banana bread. You know what I mean? They couldn't do it, so they got divorced. Now, I want to bring it down to a lowest reality, but what do we do? Our being right causes division all the time. You might be right, but is it going to produce life in that moment? Me being right at home comes from this. I want to protect. I want to cover. So then I want to control, and then I want to be right. I'm your dad, that's why. I can't, I can't argue because they're better than me at arguing all their ways, all these amazing children. But have you seen the Karens and the Kevins? What has that actually done? You end up being arrested. If you've ever been a Karen or a Kevin, maybe you haven't, I hope not. You go into public and make a complete fool of yourself by wanting to be right. So those three hang around with one another, but... That thing of be right has destroyed so many people's lives. Parents, this thing of look good. It's just because all my kids are there, so I glance at them and I get a little teary. 
I see on the sports field. How much pressure and performance parents put on their children because if the children do well, it looks good for the parent. So we put so much pressure and performance and A-team, B-team. Me and my wife, we've never put that pressure on our kids. You play the E-team. It's not about what team you make. It's not about winning or losing. It's how you play the game. It's a character that comes out in your heart. Are you willing to do the hard yards for the sake of your own passion and your dream? And then we'll nurture you in that way. I was one of those kids. I eventually said to my dad, please, can you not come and watch me? And he was like, what do you mean? I said, because every conversation we have, it's like you did so well, but what did I remember? What did I remember? So then I would go into the field, see that my dad was there. I'd play badly. I'd drop the ball. It was just my intense desire to please him. And later on in his life, he's like, sorry, boy. So I don't want to put that on my own kids. See, we've, uh, the feel-good operates out of the pure pleasure principle. Uh, there's a Greek word called hedonic, hedonistic. It has to, I have to feel good at all costs. And if I can't feel good at all costs, then I'll use someone or something to make myself feel better. And I know in my own life, my feel good had to be protected and guarded sometimes. Be right. Let me just clarify this, friends. Because everyone's staring at me like, dude, I hope there's better news. There is absolutely no shame. There's no condemnation. There's none of that within these realities. Jesus has dealt with all of that. There is no condemnation in Christ. So if we find something like I did, and I do, and tomorrow I might, still existing as an influence in my life, I want to go and posture myself in intimacy with the Father because he made the way open for me to go there. I don't ever want to choose religion again. Religion is bad for you. And I don't want to choose choose the world because it can offer me nothing of substance. It can change things in the external and make things better, talking about finance, but the substance is gonna do nothing for me. Eros needs to be right at all costs. Our minds become so made up that we will not or cannot bend. This giant is so strong that it refuses to accept reality. You just have to go and look. I like it for humor because I just often don't get the reasoning of how some people think these days. And Dan Shapiro is so much better with his words. As an Orthodox Jew, he takes facts, biology and science into Ivy League universities. And these Ivy League universities and some professors will deny the realities of creation, how you're born, your makeup, all of these things just to be right, to feel good, and because it's about my freedoms. It's subjected to how you feel only. 
So I will deny truth, I will deny reality for the sake of me being right. You and I, you see, the, the church hasn't got it right because it's judged the narrative because we haven't known what to do with the people. You see, the, you, we can judge the information, but the person needs to come in contact with the Christ in you. They don't want the language. They don't want the information anymore. They don't want the Bible anymore because it convicts them in a way that it should convict them, but we shouldn't be the ones convicting. Bring them into the place of like, this is how the creator sees you. So therefore, and then you are free with that information. I've never met anyone controlled by the be right giant who's very joyful. We're incapable of actually enjoying community when we cannot be wrong. Yeah, Eros demands grace, but it refuses to give it. And then this guy called stay in control. Mm, he likes to be in control. He likes the wheel. Don't touch the wheel. Don't touch anything else. I can't drive but I'm going to, I've, I've got the wheel. And it actually comes from the enemy or Satan's five I wills in Isaiah. Now, he said all these five I wills and then poof, got drop kicked out of heaven. But he influenced a third of the angels. But this is what he said in Isaiah 14, 13 to 14, I will climb to heaven. I will set my throne above the stars of God. I will run the assembly of the angels that meets on the sacred mountain. I will climb to the top of the clouds. I will take over as the king of the universe. <laughs> Down. But he comes to influence us. You see, at the cross, he was rendered powerless. But he has power because of our agreement and our submission to and are giving ourselves to. Because we haven't found a place of trustworthiness in a faithful God, so we come and go. Willy, 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 oh no, maybe he won't, so I need to choose the world or I need to choose religion. And people who control will use and consume those who love them. Hidden agenda. Now, hidden agenda and personal advantage, those two guys also work together. Hidden agenda, I've had this before. It's like you nestle up to someone and you just feel there's like a hook. They've got something that, um, something that they want for, from you and they've planned it in advance. It's like a snowball with a rock in it. Oh, yeah, and it flattens you. It comes with this covert, beautiful language, but it's ultimately got darts of criticism. We hide one thing in our hearts while proclaiming another. Hidden agenda is so abusive towards relationships because the way I'm in relationship with you is to get something out of you. Now, as a pastor, I get to pastor many people's lives and a lot of people's hearts and from the very, very wealthy to 
those guys who are struggling to put food on the table. Now, if I have not love, then hidden agenda can come and I will position myself from people where I can benefit. I lose my reward in that moment. I connect with someone because I know that my aim is to get something out of them and when I've got what I want, I can leave that relationship. So we connect to people for our personal advantage. Personal advantage in my home works like this. If I do that chore, what do I get out of it? (laughs) You get a bed to sleep in, mate. (laughs) Cannot pay you for family responsibility. But sometimes in my wanting to remain undisturbed, I'd rather pay for someone to do something. Now, this thing of undisturbed, it's real to me because this week, stop it. This week, I was in the car, a long day, and my little Ben Ben has got more questions than Wikipedia. (laughs) And as I'm driving, I'm tired and I've given myself to others. I just felt it coming out of me and say, hey boy, just quiet. I have to become undisturbed. I, I need the love of God to pour in me because otherwise I'm going to become undisturbable. I was speaking to two gentlemen after the first service and they were like, I wish I had my kids in my home that I could be disturbed. I wish. Young parents, it takes grace, friends. It takes grace. So we, we, we're trying to pour this down ear holes, mouth holes, nose holes, Grace is God's ability that works in your heart to do what you can't. I was driving and I leaned towards him and I heard grace. And I said, God, give me grace. And then the grace to engage was there. And all of my children have experienced my hand. Because dad wants to rest. Go out the room, close the door. Now, On the other side, I have really wanted to be undisturbed as a pastor in my life, never at harvest. And now that's the genuine, I was like tons, I think we should buy a little farm, buy a couple of Rottweilers, feed them red meat, and anyone who comes to the gate with a Bible, the dog must bite them. But why am I doing what I'm doing then? What's my motive? I never want to become undisturbable. I want these giants that have been the Lord's like they, I've given them in your hands. Where I am, they cannot operate. So come where I am. You can't operate. And, and I'm not giving you some religious stuff 
I'm so over religion. Because it just doesn't work. It just makes you tired and it makes you worn out. And then Jesus, he says, come to me. Watch how I do it. Work with me. Watch me. I'm going to show you how to do it. Take you. Recover your life. I want to show you the unforced rhythms of grace. In the pace of life and the demands that the culture puts on us and puts on this generation specifically, we need the grace of God. You see, the grace of God has been made into a doctrine. It's not a doctrine. It's a life source. It's the very life source that Christ himself came with. He came with grace and truth. You and I can function in grace and truth. Governed in the love of God in this culture where sometimes we feel like we have no answers. Because we're too afraid to say no. I disagree with you. I can speak truth to you in love. It's not governed by an eros reality of wanting to be right. And I will do everything to force you to become right or see my view. Jesus walked away from people. He hears the truth. Here, this is who I am. Cheers. The disciples are like, we're having this full-on meeting in the city. And he's like, no, I'm going there. I'm going to do this. If they want, they must follow. We can do this for this prevailing culture. We can. But as, unfortunately, it's called the agape road. It's called the narrow road. Narrow because there's one option. It's called the unconditional love of a father who desires you. Otherwise, religion, world. Three more scriptures. And if you can take these scriptures and they work so magnificently together. Let me go to my notes so I can be clear. In Deuteronomy 7.1, I don't have it there, but we can put up the next scripture. So when God, your God, brings you into the country that you're about to enter and take over, he'll clear out those superpowers that were there before you, look good, feel good, be right, stay in control, hidden agenda, personal advantage, and remain undisturbed. Those seven nations are all bigger and stronger than you. But God, your God, will turn them over to you and you will conquer them. You must completely destroy them, offering them up as a holy destruction to God. Don't make a treaty with them and don't let them off in any way. You see, friends, we need an invasive reality of what the cross did and what the kingdom of God is. Otherwise, we play on both sides. And our effectiveness as a body, as sons and daughters, just is so watered down. I'm wanting to call us into the place of Seeing who you are from the perspective of Father. Aliens and strangers in this planet. We act so differently to the culture of the world. And when the world comes and asks questions, they don't receive resistance, but are drawing in. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not. That's why we need grace. You can't do it striving. I'm going to be nice to people the whole week. Good luck. 
What are you going to do at the next robot? Because South Africa, friends, you are disturbed at your window at every robot. What are you going to do? You see, why we don't engage and open our window and have a conversation is because I don't have anything to give. So what can I give? Be nice. Be kind. Smile. Hey, but I'm so sorry, man. I don't have anything for you. I trust that someone will pass by and give you a leopard. Do you know? Just be nice. Or if you feel you can't do that, take an apple or something in your car. It's not going away. Remain undisturbed. <laughs> you just all of a sudden I play play on my phone. Hurry up! Hurry up! So in this kingdom. There's three ways that I've experienced breakthrough. I've experienced breakthrough through supernatural ways and means. I've experienced breakthrough when I partner my faith with the word of God and his promises. And I've experienced breakthrough through renewing my mind. Now there's some people in this congregation even today that if I need breakthrough, that's gonna add to my renewing the mind. I go to them and I see things being sped up. So people who have cultivated themselves in the reality of who God is, there's an impartation that you get a lot quicker than doing it on your own. That's why we need the body. That's why the Bible says in the church, we have all these people and we want them to start operating. Gifts of healings, miracles. We've got all these gifts within the church that needs to add to your faith, adds to the reality of your final breakthrough. So I love it. If I need a breakthrough, I go, listen, mates, pray for me because this is what I'm believing God for. That's why we say, guys, come up here. Come, come. If you need healing, let's, because we got people who believe that stuff. We believe it. We fully, but most of my personal reality breakthrough has been word of God and me looking at it through the lenses of the finished work of the cross and saying, God, I'm a practical guy. I need you to help me. And he's broken it down beautifully and simply for me. The word of, the, word of God and the Holy Spirit teach me. So I wanna give us three quick scriptures. And sometimes, I can't, I can't apologize for going on a little bit. I don't know when I'm going to preach again. <laughs> so Ephesians 4:17. Look how powerful these scriptures are, friends. Open up your word, friends. It says this, Ephesians 4. Now Ephesians 4 for me, it's like the linchpin. It, it holds the whole book of Ephesians together. It says this. Now I say to you as the church, as a body, and I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They become calloused and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And Paul, he does this, but that's not the way you learned Christ. And then he goes, okay, wait, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. Because he was like, okay, wait, maybe you've just had the law. 
Maybe you've just had legalism. I'm going to bring you back. The truth is in Jesus. And then he carries on. He says, guys, here's 101 Christianity. Put off the old. Now, when you gave your life to Jesus, as I've said many times, you're co-crucified with Christ. You co-died with Christ. You were co-buried with Christ, but you were co-raised up with Christ. The old man has been dealt with by God, but not in our minds. Spiritually dealt with. You're righteous, but you still got some stinking thinking. The old man's stuff. You put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, is corrupt through its deceitful desires. James says this, when you're tempted, don't say God's tempting me, testing me or scrutinizing me. It says your own desires that is enticing you and dragging you away. Can't blame. Sorry. Put off your old self, formal manner of life, corrupt, deceitful desires, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now go and study that. And then Romans 8, 5, it says this, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. Set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And then you go and read all the way to verse 15. Go and study it. Go and see. Verse 12, it says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Those, for all who are led by the spirit of God, are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. We cry, Abba, Father, I'm battling. I'm coming to you. I've got this influencing me. Lack is driving me. I need to go to you and say, Abba, Father, Dad, I need your help. And then to end, Colossians Three verses one. For if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on earthly things. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, how powerful, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetedness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And the original text says the sons of unbelief. These two, you once walked. Don't you love his language? He's like, that's what's happening. You used to walk there. You used to. In these, you two once walked when you were living in them, but now put away, put away. It does not exist in you. It's not your nature to exist like this. Put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self with its practices. Now, daily, every single moment of your life, come into agreement. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. You look like dad. Now put on his suit. You look like him. He created you in his likeness and his image. There's no Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian. The Scythians used to eat the barbarian, slave-free. Christ 
is all and in all. The Scythians were bad people. But they, he's talking about them because the worst of the worst can come in. He says, put on then God's chosen ones. Holy, beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Bearing with one another. One has a complaint against another. Forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So yes, some giants may exist. Put on love. Put on love. Put it on. No one can put it on for you. He gave you everything. It's all accessible. We just have to open the cupboard. Access. Oh, that thing of anger is there. Put it off. I'm going to put on meekness. I'm going to put on kindness. You see, it's a practice. It's every day. If it was religion, then it's Sunday. It's, it's tomorrow. I'm going to need kindness. Tomorrow, I'm go, I've got a backpack in my boot of clothing that I need. But I'm real with it. Okay, let me pray. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to do only what you can do. I'm asking for a baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. The fire of the love of God that changes us and transforms us. Father, I can't give these people an encounter with the love of God. The Bible says you are love and we love because you first loved us. Father, it's your responsibility. Love on your sons and daughters. You will never put us to shame. You'll never chase us away. We are always acceptable to you because of Christ. Jesus, I thank you for opening up the way. I thank you for doing everything for the benefit of us to come back to the Father, the way, the truth, and the life. No person shall come to the Father, but through Christ. Jesus, take us to the Father. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your anointing to break the yoke over people's lives now in Jesus' name. Everything that was highlighted in those moments and those giants, those superpowers that you have already demolished, I thank you, Holy Spirit, for your anointing to come upon to bring change, now gone in Jesus' name. I thank you, Father, for the confidence and the courage to walk down this road of intimacy with the Father. Religion will never suffice and the world will never suffice. Set your mind on where the Spirit wants to take you. Holy Spirit, shed abroad upon our hearts the love of God, I pray. I pray this, Father. I pray it over a generation in this complex reality and this complex world, I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you will capture each one of our children. Capture us again and capture our children that they can capture a generation. They're so confused. Jesus, you are king and you are Lord over all. I thank you. Take us to the Agape Road, I pray. Each person on their own individual journey. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. 